Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. The way that I can look at Wall Street is this. Take 10 people, right? Uh, out of those 10 people, one person is going to do the research. They're going to get in there. They're going to get all the research. They're going to do all the digging. They're going to come up with a good theory. You know, it'll be solid. One person is going to do that research. The second person knows the person who did that research. The third person knows the person who knows the person who did the research. And everybody else hears about it at a cocktail party. That's basically Wall Street. Hi, this is Caroline Stephen, and this is Talking Trading. Today, we feature market veteran Kirk Chisholm for part two of his interview on Talking Trading. Today, we touch on some really fascinating topics, including renewable energies and phase four nuclear technology. Kirk looks at the reason why collectibles became a part of the tax code after World War II and Nazi art theft was discovered. And he also looks at three principles to live and die by in the markets. Kirk has been a wealth manager for over 20 years. He knows how Wall Street works. He is the principal of Innovative Advisory Group and also is the host of the Money Tree podcast, which if you didn't catch last week, Chris Tate has recently appeared as a guest. You can also find this interview with Kirk and myself on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash trading game. You can subscribe and please like our videos. We also release bonus resources on YouTube, which you can't find anywhere else. Let's start today's show with Louise Bedford and her trading wisdom as she talks on the power of consistency. Here she is. If there is a single goal that every trader should have, novice and experienced alike, it should be consistency. You have to have a trading plan that sets out your financial goals and why you're taking on this role of being an active trader. You should also have some development goals in there for yourself personally. And with respect to trading, your personal development trading goal must be to become consistent and calm and to approach trading with clarity and mechanical detachment. Consistency can only be achieved over time. The quick burnout rate of the beginner trader that throws themselves in crazily just doesn't seem to permit following a trading plan with precision over the long haul. They're much more likely to freak themselves out and run a mile long before they achieve greatness. After a strong start, the loss of potential is just tragic. 
Consistency is required to decide the conditions under which you'll enter trades, exit trades and how much capital to commit to each trade. You also have to know which markets you'll trade and how many open trades that you'll be able to monitor. Yes, I think it's great to get immersed in trading as an initial phase. It's really the only way to maintain enough momentum to learn the skills required to become an effective trader. However, if you're still approaching trading with the uncontrolled fervor of a zealot after a year or two, you're probably going to burn out and drop the game entirely. Keep a balance in your life. If you can't sleep because you're worried about your trading performance or you're just so excited about what trading can do for your life, lower your position size until you find you can handle the pressure. Trading should be monotonous and steady. If it isn't, then you need to improve some aspect of your attitude or your system design. Hi, my name is Brett Steenbarger, and my four rescue cats and I enjoy listening to Caroline on her podcast. And now here is part two of Kirk Chisholm's interview. We left off last week's show discussing Bitcoin's latest run and governmental control. And we pick up today discussing renewable energies. Look, talking of governments, Joe Biden is putting the US on a path of zero net emissions by 2050 with a $2 trillion accelerated investment plan. Just talking, I know we're not fortune tellers of the market, we're simply investors, but where do you see this growth going over the next few years? So it's hard to say because, um, you know, you have different administrations, you have different thinking. Um, I think, unfortunately, politics is what's governing our direction, and politics is the last thing you want governing the direction. Um, good or bad, right or left, it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with what you believe in. I'll give you an example. So let's say, um, I think in general, the in the US, the, uh, the left, the Democrats are more or less anti-nuclear. Um, and yet that's one of the cleanest energies around. And people like Bill Gates, who's for all intents and purposes is a Democrat or his thinking is, and he's supporting uh, nuclear energy. And there's, there's actually a lot of the phase four nuclear technology is, uh, I, I don't think people understand, like it, you literally cannot have a meltdown. Like they've, it's, it's created in such a way. So it's, it's, it's um, I think impossible to actually get a meltdown in a nuclear reactor. No now, Fukushima's. No, no, it's, it's my understanding is, and I'm not an expert. I interviewed an expert in my podcast, but my understanding was it's, it's, it's literally impossible for that to happen. Now, this is now all the old reactors would have to be replaced because, you know, if you look at China and India, a lot of reactors are going up there because they need sustainable power. Um, the problem that we have in this country is all of the clean energy is not load power. It is um, it is temporary power. It's wind energy or solar. You don't have the sun at night and you don't have wind all year. So if you don't have a load power that is able to sustain uh, most of the, the weight, then you're going to have problems. I mean, look at Texas, for instance. Uh, I don't know if you heard stories about what happened in Texas where like, well, I don't know, negative 29 degrees or something crazy in a state yes. that's not built for that. Yes. Um, you know, and they have, they've deregulated energy. And there were like, people are going to get electric bills for like 
you know, nine thousand dollars for their for a month because <laughs> they couldn't get energy. So you're going to pay whatever they want to charge you. Um, so there's all these problems that that are potentially happening. Um, and there's there's things people talk about like a smart grid energy. Um, it's fantastic. It's really fascinating to see what is coming down the pipe. Mm. Um, but I think unfortunately, what's slowing it down is politics. Like people mm. have their agendas, they have their constituents that they're trying to appeal to, and nobody is being a leader. Nobody is standing up and saying this is the right thing to do. And I, I think that it's really a nice aspiration to want clean energy. I think we can all benefit. But to say that um, you're going to put people out of work, um, I mean, one of our politicians, John Kerry, said, well, we should, we should put all the oil, uh, oil sector out of work and make them retrain and be uh, solar panel uh, workers. I said, where are you going to move into China? Because that's where all the solar panels are made. <laughs> like, are you, what, are you, what are you talking about? Like, it's, it's, it's politics is what they really need to do is they need to start with um, small. It, what, what politicians are really bad at is, is A-B testing. So what they should do is A-B test different things on a small scale. So let's try this, this thing. You know, let, let's see how it works. Let's try this thing and see how it works. Or they make these grand things like we're going to go clean by 2050. That's yeah. a great goal. But yeah. I've heard that for decades. Yeah. I mean, and it's 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 not a want or don't want type of situations. I mean, they've been talking about electric cars for decades. And it's it's more than just wanting to do it because are you going to put these companies out of business? Do we have an infrastructure to support electric cars? Like, it's not, you know, I'm, I'm not the first one to bring this up, but, you know, think about it. Like, if we had electric cars in five years, we don't have the infrastructure for that. Where are the charging stations yep. going to be? How long does it take to charge? Are the batteries yep. going to last? Like, these are problems that we'll get to. But I think what, what people get caught up in is they want clean energy and they want a, a safer planet, but it, it, it's, it's not that simple that's the problem is is it, it takes time it, it's you need enough incentives to push it that way but um some of the things that they've tried to do and this is this is more of a personal rant but um i think a lot of the um the governmental things that they do is really just padding the pockets of their buddies like they were doing carbon credits which doesn't solve the problem it, you're just you're just trading one problem for another you're saying all right we're gonna sell you a carbon credit so you can spend it, but that doesn't reduce the carbon credits. Like you're just making people rich by trading carbon credits. So I think we need some some thinking that is a little more outside the box that people can kind of come up with ways to make things better and not just find ways to make money. So I, I, it's a bigger topic, but you know that, that's my thinking around it. It's fascinating. I'm glad I asked you that question. Talking about politicians, you you quote a statistic that a very famous US senator found a tax loophole and has been able to make and keep hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, you're talking about, oh, yes, you're talking about our, uh, our, our, our very own Massachusetts Mitt Romney. Yes. Yep. Um, so we have, um, there's, a, there's a part of the tax code in the US uh, that has retirement accounts. We call them uh, IRAs. Uh, and then we also have corporate plans, which are 401ks, but they're basically governed around the fact that you can you can put money away uh, pre-tax today and you can defer taxes until a later date when ideally you'd be in a lower tax bracket. You know, people talk a lot about how they can put away money every year, uh, depending on the year and, you know, what you're investing, uh, what, how much you're putting in. There's some limitations, but um, 
you know, let's say you can put it anywhere between a few thousand dollars up to fifty, sixty thousand dollars, depending on, on your age, uh, every year, which is great. Um, and the idea of these retirement accounts was a way to put away money for retirement, to help you save, to incentivize people to save. Uh, now the government eventually gets their cut when you take the money out, but um, but allows you to defer taxes and compound growth tax deferred, which from a numerical standpoint makes a lot of sense. Now, what's interesting is um, I wouldn't call it a loophole, but the industry has been built around IRAs around mutual funds. Um, because when this was started in the 70s, uh, mutual funds were a big thing. So people talked about it. you could you could invest your IRA into mutual funds, make lots of money. It was a great idea. Um, and what I found to be interesting is that a lot of people are have built up this idea that you have to invest in the stock market. Yeah. But there's nothing in the tax code that suggests that. All the tax code, they don't say what you have to invest in. They say what you can't invest in. So you cannot invest in life insurance, collectibles, or S-corps. Those are the rules. Anything else you invest in. And the world is your oyster. And I've seen a lot of interesting things. Our very own Mitt Romney had uh, publicly been claimed to have a, an IRA worth over $100 million. And if you think that's a lot, it's not. Um, there are 314 people in the U.S. who have accounts over $20 million. And I'll just take a guess. What do, what do you think the average of those balances over those 314 people? Okay, obviously it's going to be a lot. Twenty billion? <laughs> no, you're you're the right direction. Too far. It's, it's a little too far, but that's okay. I like the way you think. Um, it's it's two hundred and fifty-seven million dollars is the average if you take all those twenty on the low side, and there are IRAs worth over a billion dollars. And imagine imagine that you have an individual person's retirement account worth over a billion dollars. Now I don't know what those people did, although I know where they are. Um, I don't know what they did specifically. Um, but I can tell you that it comes along with a lot of creative thinking. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, what's interesting is most people get stuck in this mindset of I have to do things a certain way. Um, I could tell you how you could easily leverage that up really quickly. Um, there are some limitations when you get to the millions of dollars, but you could do it. And it's all legal. It's above board. There's there's nothing wrong with doing it. And people, may, you know, rip on Mitt Romney for for having a hundred million dollar IRA. But I, I applaud him. I think it was great that he did that. And the fact that he was able to uh, Peter Thiel, you know, one of the original investors of Facebook, he has, I would guess, over a billion dollars in his Roth IRA, never has to pay taxes on it. Peter Levchin, there's a few others that have been in the media as having large IRAs. It's not a secret, it's public information. Um, you can look it up yourself. But it's what's interesting is, is just the idea that you can go and be creative with your money and find ways to use the tax code to your favor. You're not doing anything illegal, you're just using the code as it was derived in your favor. And I'll give you a quick, uh, quick interesting side note for the listeners. When the IRA was created, the reason they actually put in collectibles was a really interesting story. So when they came up with the tax code, they were trying to find ways to allow investors to save for retirement. However, at the same time, some Nazi artwork and collectibles, uh, Nazi I mean Jewish uh, artwork and collectibles from the Nazis were found in creating the code. They created in such a way so that if they were able to put this in the IRA, they would never be able to get access to it. 
it is that strong of a part of the code. So they put in collectibles specifically for that so people couldn't put in this stolen artwork and shield it from government intervention. Really fascinating. Wow. Okay, so before we go, three top key lessons you've learned in your 20 years experience. Mm, only three? <laughs> well, you can do more if you want. Yeah, no, I, I would say um, <clears throat> there's a few principles that we kind of live by. One is risk management first. <clears throat> risk management first, we didn't talk enough about this in the show, but risk management is really this, the, the uh, structural element that everybody needs to do. And people don't look at this. They look at how can I get the best performance? <clears throat> Let me give you a quick math problem. Um, if you have $100 and you lose 50% of your $100, you have $50, right? Yeah. What kind of return do you need to get to get back to where you started? 100%. Right. You don't need 50%. You need really? 100%. So if you think about it, what's the best way to grow your wealth is not to lose big when the market sells off. So 2008, the market went down, or 2008 and 9 went down 58%. If you didn't lose half your stuff, you would have twice as much money in order to buy whatever you wanted. So technically, if you were in cash, you doubled your money, the mm -hmm. value of your cash. Um, so risk management is really important. Most people look at it as a side note. It is, is literally the first thing we do in every time we invest. Performance is a, is a, is a side effect of that positive performance is a side effect. That's the easy part because everything goes up if you're not doing it you know, stupidly. You can make money easily on the upside. The downside is the hard part. And I think a lot of people don't focus on that. So risk management first is a big part of it. Another thing I would say is really important. And by the way, these are all mindset things that I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> another part is um, what we would call outcome-based thinking versus scenario-based thinking. Most people look at things as an outcome-based thinking. So think of our recent election, Biden versus Trump. What happens if, you know, most people are thinking, well, if Trump wins, then I'm going to invest this way. Um, you yes. know, most people said, I think, or probably a better thing is, I think Trump's going to win, and so I'm going to invest in this. Or I think Biden's going to win, I'm going to invest in this. We looked at it as, I can't predict the future. I don't know about you, but I can't predict the future. If I did, I would not be on this podcast. I'd be on an island by myself with plenty of people serving me, doing all, you know, like taking care of my every need. I, I can't predict the future. And a lot of people talk like they do. And people talk to all these, these uh, really smart people and they, they think, oh, what are they going to tell me? Where, where should I invest? Nobody knows, right? Outcome-based thinking is thinking that you're going to know the future or somebody else does. That is not possible. So knowing that that's not possible, you have to look at what we call scenario-based thinking, which is what if Trump wins, what do we do? What if Biden wins, what do we do? What if nobody wins, which was a high probability of it being unclear, which in some ways it was for many months. Um, so if you look at that, I don't have to know the outcome. I just know that if these things happen, here's how I'm going to react. So as an example, COVID, nobody I knew predicted that. Mm. Uh, I certainly didn't. I wasn't, I, I didn't know it was going to happen, but I was prepared for it. So even though the market went down 30 some odd percent, we didn't because either if it was COVID or something else happening, we were prepared for a potential outcome, which at some point we're going to have a recession and a very large recession, uh, in my opinion. And when that happens, a lot of people are going to be unprepared. We're prepared. We just don't know when it's going to happen. 
So we're not sitting around in cash. We are invested, but we also know that when it happens, even if it happens today, tomorrow, the next day, we're going to be prepared for it. So I think those two are really some of the most important things that people should consider. Uh, I would say the last thing is just, um, I don't know how to say this, but uh, uh, don't trust anybody, trust yourself. Yeah. It, there's, it's, when it comes to finance, everybody has an opinion. People are frequently wrong. Um, don't trust me, trust yourself. Like you have to make your own decisions. Uh, we, we call it in our podcast, we, we ended off saying invest in yourself. Um, if you are not an expert, find somebody you trust to work with. But generally speaking, um, you know, the industry is devious in many ways. And it's yeah. not all, it's not all deliberate. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about earlier, like this career risk. That's not people sitting in a room saying, how can we, you know, screw over investors? They're, it's just they're accustomed to certain assumptions in the way that they do things. And those assumptions, they build on other theories. And if an assumption is wrong, then the theory is, is not solid. So it's not a deliberate attempt like some people claim. It's more of you just have to do your own homework. You have to do your own research, your own due diligence. It's really important that you do that or find somebody you trust to do it for you. I mean, you know, these these people, these billionaires that make lots of money, they, they have teams of people that work for them. They're really smart people and really smart people sometimes can be really dumb. I, I call them the, the smartest dumb people in the room. Like they're really, really bright, but they, um, the industry, let me give you this final, uh, uh, I think visual here. The way that I can look at wall street is this take 10 people, right? Uh, out of those 10 people, one person is going to do the research. They're going to get in there. They're going to get all the research. They're going to do all the digging. They're going to come up with a good theory. You know, it'll be solid. One person is going to do that research. The second person knows the person who did that research. The third person knows the person who knows the person who did the research. And everybody else hears about it at a cocktail party. That's basically Wall Street. Like it's Bernie Madoff happened for as long as he did because no one is doing the research. Harry Markopoulos did the research. No one else was doing it. It's, it's just the way that the street works. It's not a good or bad thing. It's not nefarious. It's just there's a lot of reasons this happens. You, you, you have to trust yourself. You have to do your own research. And that's part of why you're listening to the show. Like this is about learning and improving and bettering yourself and getting a better framework and ways to think about things. And that's what we talk about all the time is just have a better framework, have a better mental model of how to think about things. And if you do that right, then, you know, success will follow, but it takes time. Investing is hard and you need to put in the time. If people want to find out more about what you say, where do they find you? Yeah, so um, easiest way to find me. So my company is innovativewealth.com. That's our corporate website. We have a lot of blog posts. I write all the stuff on the site. Um, I also have a Money Tree Investing Podcast. It's just moneytreepodcast.com. You can find me week, every week there on that show. Um, and we have a lot of great guests, you know, and, um, you know, it's, that's probably the easiest way to find me. I'm on social media, but I'm really more active on the podcast channel than anything else. Kirk Chisholm, thank you for sharing your great mind today. Great. Well, thank you for having me on the show. And that's it for today's show. Stay tuned next week to hear about the subconscious mind and its power over you with Matthew Patty. I'm Caroline Stephen. Happy trading. Take care.
as always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation.